Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Two Cyber Chicks podcast. You're about to join Erica and Jax for an inclusive cybersecurity conversation designed to educate and break the stereotypes of cybersecurity professionals while providing life hacks on how to handle burnout, networking, and goal setting. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Hi, all. Welcome back. Jax, thanks for holding down the fort. Last episode, we're back in full force. Also, we've got two cyber chicks. Oh, my gosh, we do. Look, you guys, here. Here, not available yet for purchase, but soon. Let us know if you want some gear, but we've got it. We got to test it out first. So new swag, we're feeling it. We're, we're gonna have a great episode. I'm super pumped for today's guest, Jax. Uh, Lester Chang comes with a really neat background. I mean, his academic background started with psychology. Then he's bolstered this experience with certified scrum master cert, project management professional, then the certified information system security professional, that CISSP, which you know is like the gold standard in our industry. And then on top of that, the certified business continuity professional, which Lester, I thought was super, super interesting because business continuity, disaster recovery, it's such a niche. I mean, those availability commitments that you're making to your customers, I mean, that is what it's all about. And that's such an interesting area of our um, industry. So I'm super excited to dig into this further. Um, Lester's got some experience. Um, He was an intelligence analyst in Bahrain. Then he held multiple roles within the Ministry of Defense in Singapore, moved into project management for a little, and then uh, most recently in crisis management. And he just published the Essential Cybersecurity Exercise Playbook, which so exciting. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Let's do it. Lester, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I love, love the t-shirts for a start. Thank you so much. So to kick off our conversation, um, can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey into cybersecurity? And I am dying to know why crisis management? Sure. So firstly, thank you for having me here. Um, My experience, my first foray into cybersecurity um, was via the project management route. Um, So I was fortunate enough to be uh, in a cyber PMO, and that gave me a full view of all the tools that uh, companies were spending millions on, uh, the entire suite of tools uh, as part of a cybersecurity transformation. So that was really my first dip into cybersecurity and opened my eyes to, uh, I guess, a longer term career in in this space. Um, I was fortunate enough then to move into my next cyber role, which was fairly unique. So I stood up and ran a cybersecurity, a security exercise program uh, for a financial institution. Um, What that entailed is developing scenarios, running exercises to ensure that the teams were ready to respond to incidents. And if it escalated to a crisis, 
the structure was there in place to, to manage a crisis. Um, a lot of that was tied back to my experience in the Navy, where I ran a ran the Naval War Gaming and Simulation Center for the Singapore Navy. And yeah, so it all came uh, nicely together where I utilized my experience in the Navy in the cybersecurity world. That's super interesting being a veteran myself. Go veterans, woo! Go Army, beat Navy. Had to throw that in there. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I should have gone Navy though. But anyway, I digress. So that right when you started talking about some of the crisis management stuff, I was like, it reminds me of a tabletop exercise that I have done in the military. And so it sounds like you've taken some of that Navy experience and you started implementing some of those things within the space that you work in now as, as far as the crisis management and the exercises. I'm really curious knowing like because my, uh, my understanding and is very much military as far as crisis management. I've worked with clients before being in client services that mm. most clients don't even have a clue about patch management, must, much less having like a crisis management established. So when you go into an organization, you're working with say um, a, a small business or a new client, how do you define a crisis and how should an organization look at their unique environment and business objectives to really define what would constitute a crisis for them? Yeah, I think those are excellent questions and observations. Most people can't, can't tell their left feet from their right, right? right. Where's the capacity to think about a crisis? So fortunately or unfortunately, the world has become a bit messy over the last couple of years. Uh, we all know what happened, uh, whether it's uh, geopolitical as well as a medical uh, crisis. So that gives people a bit more, or this, this practice of crisis management a bit more attention and it becomes an easier sell. Uh, having said that, I think people need to understand, the more you understand your business and the more time you spend defining what can go wrong and what decisions need to be make, uh, made in times of um, a crisis, then the scope of what entails a crisis becomes smaller because you have already spent time looking at the worst case scenarios. However, most people don't have time to go through the entire gambit of what goes wrong. I mean, the military loves this, like this can go wrong, this can go wrong, this can go wrong. But in, for most companies, they don't have time to do that. So instead of a full overview of what can go wrong, instead set up a structure where you can have a more efficient decision-making mechanism uh, in order to manage uh, an incident that's becoming a crisis. Because no one, firstly, no one can, you, you don't want to spend time detailing every possible thing. And there's no ROI in doing that because things can happen and we won't even know about it. So I think the way to approach it is Instead of spending all your efforts doing your homeworks, trying to cover all angles, identify a structure to pull out and tease out who are the key uh, stakeholders that has roles and responsibilities in decision-making. Set up a structure so that these people can be brought to the table quickly, and then walk through some guidelines and considerations of what sort of decisions that they were called upon to make. So that way, 
you hopefully can sleep better at night, touch wood, something happens, you know that someone's going to call someone, some people are going to come together, they will have some guidelines, they will have spoken about these problems before, and they would then be in a great position to brainstorm and problem solve. Yeah, I love the uh, the definition portion of like, hey, we need to define clear roles and responsibilities. Like to me, that's like the biggest takeaway from this right now is if your organization doesn't have individuals or a team that is formally the incidents response team, right? Like some kind of crisis management response, team, you know, whatever you call it, but formal roles and responsibilities for managing and handling these types of situations that may happen to you. Um, but also, right, like you have the role and responsibility portion. What are, What is it each individual going to do? Mm-hmm. And then from a communication perspective, who's going to communicate internally? What does that look like? And then who communicates externally, right? Mm-hmm. And what are the things that need to be, at what point does a, does an event become a crisis? Because I think sometimes when we think crisis, we automatically think, you know, breach, right? At mm-hmm. least that's where my head goes. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that SIM tools, I mean, they're going off and off and off uh, with tons of alerts, thousands of them, I'm sure. Um, you got to figure out how do you triage them? You got to f- classify them, right? So a lot of this is also like classification of what is an event? Is this low, medium? What are the what are the kind of categories that your organization wants to pinpoint? And then are there SLAs associated to responding to said incidents? And having this uh, having this incident response team also, you know, going through this process of the triaging, the response, bringing in um, system owners to pull their subject matter expertise on said environments that were potentially impacted. And then from there, um, likely even after it's been communicated and you know resolved, doing some sort of post-mortem to figure out what were the lessons learned of said exercise, right? Um, did I miss anything, Lester? No, I think you've covered a lot of it. Then. All right, it's, trying to trying to summarize, you know, what are those golden nuggets that we need to pull from uh, from Lester from all of this like subject matter expertise that you have? Since this is your, I mean, this is such a niche domain, and obviously, I'm getting super excited about it because, I mean, disaster recovery is not the same as business continuity, right? We've got to meet these availability demands. Um, so it's not just, you know, it's more than just dealing with a crisis, right? It's like mm-hmm. customer commitments. It's keeping your object, uh, your business objectives alive, right? All of these things. Um, so that kind of leads me to my natural next question is, is there or what are the most, I mean, common or surprising even um, mm-hmm. situations that you've seen at customers that you've worked with? Um, whether it's been a surprise, whether it's been like, hey, yeah, for majority, smaller scale companies don't have this or large scale companies usually have this. Are there any trends that you've identified that you could share with us? Yeah, I think the, I, you sort of covered it before. I think the assumption of roles and responsibilities is a fairly common one. Um, and that's, therein lies the danger if you don't practice it during an, uh, uh, a bit more elaborate exercise rather than your 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 going through the motion tick the box type of exercises but if you have something a bit more challenging you have a bit more variables you pull cybersecurity in a bcp or a vr scenario then uh, some some questions come into play right who 
does the responsibility and decision to switch a field over, who must take off and who must give that green light before somebody goes ahead. Those considerations, um, I think, previously were not considered, but with uh, the on coming online of the operational resiliency, I think that would solve most of the, these issues, like um, a deeper dive into how we're going to sustain the business, how we're going to maintain uh, operations, or at least a minimum set of operations to sustain the business while we recover uh, a full business suite. So it's changing, it takes time, but I think the concept of people are coming to realize that it's no longer uh, if we get hit, it's when we get hit, and therefore prepare, understand what's going to keep you afloat, um, pre-identify that. If you need to buffer those, buffer those, so that when it happens, you don't, you're not in a discovery mode, you're in a uh, recovery and a response mode. Okay, so I've got to follow up on what you were just touching on, especially the roles and responsibilities piece, because it is a critical aspect, not just for crisis management, but for so many different areas within cybersecurity. And I see a lot of times with organizations, even mature organizations, sometimes they don't update their roles and responsibilities accordingly. So what advice would you give to an organization to maintain updated roles and responsibilities within the organization like if you had to walk in you had to sell this to executives what would you say to them of the importance of why it's important to establish roles and responsibilities yeah i think the the clearest answer is that uh, a lot of time is lost when people are trying to respond to an incident um they're figuring out if your vendor manager has changed your brand the liaison on the vendor side has changed and sometimes your head of stock has changed, but the documents are not updated. So I think it's important to, it, it's, it's gonna be a struggle, right? Because no one likes to update documents and you only update it when you need to update it. So I, I advocated for um, something different, but it touches on this. So hear me out for a while. So when I, when I talk about running cyber exercises, I, I give an example of what should trigger a consideration to run an exercise. So one of it was change in personnel. So either key leadership positions, your CEO, your CISO, paid technology changes, um, you may want to consider running an exercise so that one, the documents are updated as part of the entire process. Um, two, as, as a decision maker and someone who sets the tone and approach and strategy for response and, and mitigation of an effect, it's an opportunity for them to convey their priorities, set certain standards and expectations so that the rest of the team understands. Because when we all read the playbook, I read it one way, you read it one way, Erika reads it another way, and we all assume we understand each other, but no, it doesn't happen. And, and therefore, when people change, uh, key leaders or the turnover is so high, when bulk of your SOC changes, <laughs> okay, let's, are we really going to assume everyone has read the book? More, than, more or less even understand it. So those are opportunities there to 
run an exercise, update your documents, ensure everyone's on the same page, then you can go back to business as usual. That's such a great point. I mean, usually when you see these exercises triggered, it's because they need to be done quarterly. It's something that's like a mandatory thing, but doing these, even if it's on a smaller scale and not at a larger scale, doing them just to ensure the key personnel understand what the roles and responsibilities are during a crisis is so critical. Cause like you said, everybody's going to interpret the processes differently and then you're going to have a lot of ambiguity. So I love that approach. And I hope that the listeners take at least that away from this episode. Okay. So we're going to do a little bit of a pivot onto kind of a different topic, um, more of like a personal topic for you. You're very active on LinkedIn. We connected, I think it was through a conference. I think it was VetSecCon is how we connected. And you have really grown on LinkedIn. You are not just active, but you're really giving back to the community and you share personal stories. You're like very authentic. That's what I love about you is that you are you share who Lester is like this is me this is part of my journey this is where I am at in my life and part of that has been some messaging around the job market and some of the challenges that you face personally can you share a little bit about your LinkedIn messaging specifically around you know this year's job market and if you can provide maybe insights or tips to any of the listeners that could maybe help them as they're navigating within the current job markets Sure. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, it was appropriate and appropriate, accurate of you to acknowledge the difficulties in the job market right now. I think we, we first, first and foremost have to acknowledge that that gives us that setting of what, what, what our theater of war is, right? Because it, it, it's, we, we need to know our environment first before we try and do anything. So if we know that's our setting, we know that the competition is going to be stiff. We know that roles are lower, decreasing, uh, competition is going to be high. How then do you stand out from the thousand other applicants that are targeting the same role? So I think mindset about not being guilty about investing in yourself. We, we, we spoke offline before that of like pouring our hearts into our, our jobs and our, our, our companies. Yes. I think that doesn't stop. We were all um, professionals here. We continue to do that. But we need to stop feeling guilty about spending a bit of time on ourselves, whether it is professional development, whether it's getting to know more people, whether it's uh, even being intentional about personal branding. Uh, I'm trying to erase any negative connotations about personal branding um, because, yeah, I, I don't know how it became that, but people tend to when we mentioned that but we just got to be honest and and caring for ourselves it's self-care right investing in yourself is self-care because no one no one else is going to spend that much time thinking about you it's, it's just human human nature unfortunately so i think my my key takeaway is don't be guilty about spending some time on yourself um and yeah we can spend the next two hours talking about what, what to do, but um, I, I think that guilt part would free you up a lot more and would um, remove any of your, yeah, of your what do we call that, self-validating beliefs, uh, and then you can start 
being yeah like when i started being open with i was like okay who cares who will care about me why do i have to share but once you be a bit kinder to yourself allow it um learn from it then that's where you start to start to grow I love that, Lester. It's um, it's refreshing to hear that because uh, so often we are always chasing like the next and the next goal, right? And sometimes it's so needed to take that self-care time that you just mentioned. It's like pouring back into yourself, like what fills my cup? Am I are my goals still aligned, right? Like even taking a breather to say like, where am I wanting to go? And am I just chasing something because it was a goal of mine years ago, right? Like doing a reset. Um, and then like, like you said, I, I think that there's something so beautiful about the openness and the authenticity. And, and I love that about our industry. I mean, if you look at our community, right. in cybersecurity, like on LinkedIn, on, on YouTube, wherever you find it, um, you see that there is that you get uncomfortable, you get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Right. And so like when you're first opening up, like you're like, ah, oh, my oversharing. Right. But you have no idea how many people that are reading and seeing that post like you could be you could be it, it's the right time for them right to be hearing that or listening to that or reading that it is resonating with them and like that trickle effect is so widespread that i mean i'll thank you on behalf of everybody that saw your post as you were sharing your vulnerability and establishing i mean you're continuing to establish your personal brand by that authenticity because through vulnerability um, i mean we discover and we learn so much so um i think that's a wonderful message wonderful advice and um that's motivation for anybody that's listening like yes it's a tough job market out there the economy everything that's going on in the world right now i mean it's hard not to feel it um but giving yourself grace and pouring back into yourself i think is just phenomenal advice um, so Lester, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to pivot into talking about your book because I've been dying to ask you. Um, can you share some of the inspiration behind your book? Did you always have the goal to be a published author? Give me a little bit of uh, you know the tea uh, on uh, what what went down. Uh, I wish I could say I've dreamt of writing this since I was ten. No, obviously not. So it it, it really started by sharing my wisdom, knowledge, experience uh, on LinkedIn specifically about uh, this particular topic exercises. Uh, and once I got into the cadence of doing that, I started to see um, what, what became an outline of a book, right? So different, going through all the different pains that I went through when I was doing this, uh, going through all the, the best practices, um, tools out there that would help someone in a similar position to to quickly level up uh, not go through the pain that i went through and yeah so that was that through my sharing that gave birth to to the idea of a, a book um yeah and then it really became sort of a evergreen content that i can point to and yeah, it's, it's somewhere that I can draw a line in the sand and say, okay, I've, I've consolidated uh, enough information that I was proud enough to put in a book. And, and therefore, that, that has, yeah, I think that's more important than writing the book itself. It's, yeah. 
It sounds like just like your LinkedIn, it's part of like giving that giving back portion of yourself where you mm-hmm. want to give back and make a, an impact. And that's what you do on a daily mm-hmm. basis. You really do. And I hope you know that like your posts and what you're doing is making an impact. I know for me and Eric has been there too. When we'll be struggling and we'll be doing these podcasts and somebody always will reach out right around that time to remind you. So I'm that reminder for you, Lester, like you are kicking butt and thank you for everything you do for our community. Seriously. It's awesome. Thank you. Too too kind, Jax. You you do way more than me. Lester, you're amazing. So, and I know our listeners are going to want to connect with you. What is the best Mm -hmm. way for them to be able to reach out to you and connect? Is it LinkedIn? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is the only platform that I'm, I'm active on. Yes. You're awesome. All right. Well, mm-hmm. you guys heard it here um, down in the show notes. Connect with Lester. You won't regret it. Lester, you have been amazing. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. Yeah. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Jax. Um, thank you, yeah, like I always say, I, I, I don't take all these opportunities and invites for granted. So thank you so much. And thank you for everything that you do as well. Oh, thank you so much. You're the best. Mm-hmm. What an amazing episode. Oh, I love Lester. Yes. So you guys go and follow Lester. You're not going to regret it. Such an amazing episode. And we're looking forward to having another episode in two weeks. So if you're new here, thank you for coming and listening or watching. Make sure to hit subscribe. We would love it. Like, Like, subscribe. Yeah. Do all the things. Ding, ding, ding. And if you've got any guests or you want to be a guest, write us an email at two that's the number two cyberchicks at gmail.com and we'll see you in two weeks catch you on the next one we hope you enjoyed this episode of two cyber chicks podcast with erica and Jax. if you learned something new and this podcast made you think then share itspmagazine.com with your friends family and colleagues If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.